0: You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena, the parochial vicar of St. Anne's Parish in Butte, Montana, and chaplain of Butte Central Catholic Schools. Enjoy. Death. It's not a pleasant word. I still remember when I first began to understand the idea. I would try to imagine it. There was a seven-year-old... Kirby standing there with my eyes closed, imagining what it was to cease to exist. It was a sort of physically disorienting thing to do, so much so that I would, from time to time, kind of just fall over from vertigo. Then my mom taught me about heaven, about eternal life with God, and hell and its eternal torment and separation from God. And I was just as dizzy and confused thinking about those ideas, about eternity, as I was thinking about ceasing to exist. You know, those without faith believe that at the end of this life, we just cease to exist. For those of us who have faith, we know that there is eternal life. But both of those ideas, both of those things are beyond us. They're impossible to comprehend. And so, like everything that we cannot grasp or measure or understand completely, it terrifies us. But there's no shortage of attempts to understand the idea. Every serious philosopher worth his or her salt eventually confronts death. And it is, after all, one of those things that we all have in common, every living being, not just human beings. We will all die. And we never seem to die at the right time, because there doesn't seem to be a right time to die. This life feels sort of incomplete. The great Old Testament writers grapple with this well, you know, not with naive piety. The psalmist laments, our years are consumed like a sigh. Seventy years is the span of our days, or eighty if we are strong. Most of these are toil and pain. They pass swiftly, and we are gone. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's grappling with death's inevitability and the way that it seems to make life itself trivial. The opening lines are, I'd say, unmatched in their sort of sad wisdom and profound insight. Vanity of vanities. All things are vanity. What does a man gain by his toil? The sun rises and it sets. A generation goes and a generation comes. The place where the streams flow, they're going to flow again. The eye is not satisfied with its seeing, nor the ear with hearing. There's nothing new under the sun. We don't remember former things, and there will not be a remembrance of our days. We're all gonna have that moment in our lives when we realize our mortality, we realize how small we are, and how unlikely it is that we're gonna be remembered here in this world for that long. So we wonder, what's the point? Yet we don't despair. It's interesting. We have this sort of hope that wants to burst forth from within us. And we know life is mysterious, that there's suffering, but we know that it's good. That there's these bright lights that seem to point to eternity. You know, God's providence is difficult to understand because, as Isaiah tells us in the reading today, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, are my ways above yours. Even Socrates, a Greek and a pagan, when he went to his death, he said, To fear death, gentlemen, is no other than to think oneself wise when we're not, to think we know what we do not know. No one knows whether death may be the greatest blessing for a man, yet we fear it as though we know it is the greatest of evils. Socrates, like these Old Testament authors, has this sort of hope. We see today the attempt to sort of reject hope for eternal life, an attempt to ask the question of death with an assumed knowledge or certainty that there's nothing beyond this life. That we must somehow confront or reject eternity uh, in the hope of living this life to the full. The idea being that we can Only live life well if we forget some sort of promises of eternity that distract us from now. Yeah, it's inevitable that a life lived just for today, just for this world, is a life lived for me, a life founded on selfishness. We can repackage it as self-love. There's no question of sacrificing myself for someone, for truly putting someone else's good before my own. For this life is it. Where's the hope in that? Jesus Christ is the revelation of this mysterious hope that we all hold. I love the Vigil Gospel because it never gives us perfect closure. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And God has acted in some definitive way. But what exactly is it? Surely things are different now, but how? With time, the disciples realize that Christ's resurrection brings clarity to everything that we couldn't understand until now. We understand why Jesus set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. Why he became a man and willingly suffered and died. We look at this ancient hymn, the exalted, that we heard at the beginning of this beautiful liturgy. To ransom a slave, you gave away your son. O truly necessary sin of Adam. Destroyed completely by the death of Christ. Jesus died and so trampled death. He made sense of that inexplicable hope as we humans have always had for something beyond this life. The moment we step in behind the Lord, behind Jesus, and we set our face like flint toward Jerusalem with him, toward that perfect life of love and self-sacrifice that he calls us to, then we'll find that elusive joy and that peace that we've been searching for. You know, Pope Benedict described the cross as a cosmic event, one that shakes the world to its foundations. The resurrection is the culmination of that cosmic event, and it's as real today as it was 2,000 years ago. So go with the woman to the tomb this night, and know that the resurrection is real, and then go out and live it. Amen.